Hey, morning, everyone. Big game tonight. If you're a Syracuse fan, woohoo! A little bit. All right, just checking. All right, so I wear my orange today. It's March Madness, and it's been madness at the tournament. Um, I'm glad to see everyone here this morning. I'm really excited about next week, and I hope you've been praying for that and have seen some of the signs up around uh, town. And so just continue to just uh, invite people. Uh, just as Pastor Mike said, make sure you uh, take those cards, just maybe places where you eat or your neighbors or your friends or where you get gas or just keep handing them out and spreading the word, inviting people and praying that uh, we just have a great harvest next week of people that come to know Jesus as their Savior. So just keep that in, in your prayers. Um, we, As you know, we've been going through the book of Mark, and um, I, I really wanted to focus on this week, on, on Mark chapter 14, because this is where um, Jesus is preparing himself to actually go to the cross. And as we know, Palm Sunday is this Passion Week of all these great events that happen leading up to the cross and the resurrection. And I really, Mark 14, and, and we see this story also played out in the other Gospels, we really get an insight to the heart of Jesus and really what he's about to face. And I believe we can, we're going to grab some great, um, a different perspective and some great insight on what Jesus was actually facing. And, and I believe this correlates with the Passover meal that he just celebrates with his disciples before he is going to be arrested and, and tried and eventually crucified. And, and I believe we're going to see some great, uh, we're going to have a greater understanding of what Jesus actually did for us. And my prayer for you this morning is that this will help you to understand the lengths and the depths that Jesus went through for us and the actual penalty and, and the sacrifice that he paid for you and I. My prayer for you this morning is that you would just take it personally. And for those of you that are wrestling with your past or wrestling with past sins or your life or bad choices, that you would actually find freedom today. Because for those that find Christ um, they find new life. And that's the message this world needs to hear today because we're trying to find life in things that are dead. And, and you're not going to find life in things that can't bring you life. And, and I think we search and we look and we try to uh, resurrect ourselves through becoming a better person or reading self-help books or all these little things to try to resurrect something that is dead, that can never be resurrected unless we come through Christ. And the reason why is because Jesus is the only one that conquered death. And so he is God. And so when we come to Christ, we find newness of life. And that's what it means to be born again. Born again is not some denominational label. That's the born again church at the end of town, right? That's not what it is. Being born again means that you've been reborn. Something that was dead now comes to life. That's the whole reason for this season is that Jesus takes dead things and brings them to life. And uh, we're going to, I'm praying that next week we're going to see that, that, that people that are dead in themselves and their sin are going to come to life, that, that Easter will take on a whole new meaning for many, many people that hear the pureness of the gospel message. And so that message is still 
changing hearts and lives today. And that's what makes the word of God so powerful. And so what I want to do is I want to dig into Mark uh, chapter 14. So if you've got your, your Bibles or you can actually use the Bibles, we have Bibles in all the chairs. Um, so if, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can take one of those. It's on page 553 that we're reading from. And if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to give you permission to steal. This is the only time you can ever steal from church, you can actually steal one of these Bibles and it's okay. But that's the only thing you can steal from this church is the Bible that's in the seat in front of you. So that you can take if you don't have a Bible. They're a gift from us to you. And on page 553, if you want to follow along in the Bible to make sure I know what I'm talking about, uh, you can read it for yourself or look up at the screens. But let's get an inside look um, at the heart of, of Jesus and what he's about to face. And we're going to see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is, this is after the Passover meal. This is, this is before he's going to be arrested and tried and eventually go to the cross. And, and so th- this, what we see here is paramount to what Jesus is going through and for us to understand exactly what he's about to um, endure. So let's look at Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verse 32. And let's see what Jesus prays here in this garden uh, before, he is, before he is arrested and tried and goes to the cross. And starting with verse 32, and it says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he's with his disciples. And he said, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. We're going to dig into what what this actually means and how troubled he really was. And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him or in other translations that God would take this cup from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. We're going to dig into what that actually means. And then Jesus says this in his prayer, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would open up our hearts right now as we dig into your word. Lord, we give your word all authority in this place. We believe it's perfect. It's all truth. It's inerrant. And Lord, we we believe it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And that, that, God, we need your truth to penetrate our hearts And we know that without a changed heart, there cannot be a changed life. And so, Lord, change us through your word. And we believe that you are God, that Jesus, you came to this earth to reconcile us, to restore the broken relationship that we had with you because of our sin. Let us see now through this prayer of Jesus and what Jesus endured uh, through this prayer and in the garden. Let us see into his heart. Let us see uh, what we need to change in our hearts and what he actually did for us. And we just ask these things in your son's precious name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. So before Jesus goes to the cross, we see him literally opening up his heart to his disciples. We get this very intimate view into the life of Jesus before he's going to be tried. So Jesus knows what's going to happen. And so we see this uh, intimate uh, vision into Jesus' heart uh, with us, with his disciples, and ultimately with his father, as he calls him, Abba God. And so what Jesus does is he lays his heart out, his struggles and his agonies for us to see. And what's interesting about this passage is Jesus becomes deeply distressed, even saying to the point of, of death, And what this literally means is it means to be overcome with horror. And so what is going on here? 
Well, let's first look at the place where Jesus actually was. And I don't, I don't think he, I, I don't think this place was picked on purpose. I think there was a purpose for the place where they went. The place where they went was called the Garden of Gethsemane. And the word literally means oil press. The word Gethsemane literally means oil press. It was located on the slope of the Mount of Olives in a valley that separated, there's a valley that separated Gethsemane from Jerusalem. And this was called the Kindred Valley. And there's an ancient uh, olive grove, gardens of ancient olive groves that are actually still there today. And so what Jesus does is he picks this place to pray before he's going to be arrested. He takes his disciples there and he picks this garden of Gethsemane to pray. Well, this place literally means a place of crushing. Because in this place, olives were grounded into olive paste underneath these huge millstones. And olive paste generally stayed under the stones for 30 to 40 minutes. And so what we understand here, this is the place where Jesus comes before he goes to the cross. This is a place of crushing for Jesus. He literally feels anguish. He feels the suffering. He feels the pain that he is about to endure. And so Jesus allows himself to go to this very place by the will of God to say, Father God, I am going to be crushed and I'm going to allow your will to be done through me so that people might know you. So I don't think it's on purpose that Jesus chooses the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of crushing, to allow himself to pray, to allow himself to come under the will of God, to allow his life to be a sacrifice for you and I. And so what makes Jesus' suffering so, so different? And what makes his death and his suffering different from others? Because, because we know that there's others that have endured great suffering for the cause of Christ. And many others probably died more, martyrs have died more horrific deaths. But what makes Jesus' death so significant and so unique? Jesus saw something in the garden while he was praying. It says that Jesus literally felt horror. Have you ever have you ever been in a place where you just got scared and it just it just you just were you were just scared. Something popped up and you were just, and it just scared you. I can remember probably the one time that I was really just like I was a little afraid and and it was 1995 on my first overseas missions trip to El Salvador. We're flying back on an airline called Taco Air. We called it Taco Air. And so we were on Taco Air and we're flying back and, you know, there's guys with big rubber bands, you know, they had to get the propellers going on the plane. And uh, we're on this plane uh, and we're flying back and all of a sudden there's the people start speaking in Spanish. We don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden people that understood Spanish are taking their luggage out of the overhead compartments and putting it in their seats. And people are going like this, ducking in a emergency position. And I'm like, what is going and all of a sudden the person gets on the mic that's um that speaks english says we have to have an emergency landing people are freaking out people are yelling they're kids that i had on the mission trip we're gonna die and i'm thinking to myself my last thought my last time on earth is going to be on taco air that's how i'm going to die on taco air that's how my life is going to right so you know you get fearful like how is this going to end and so eventually we you know the plane turns around and it's 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 
dive into the ground and we make this hard land. I have no idea. And so they could, we have, we, you know, they said, we have to fix the, the plane. You know, so there's guys out there with these wrenches and they're wheeling the proper. No, I'm just teasing. And we had to take the same plane to Miami after three hours later. Taco Air, same plane. But that was the most tense two and a half, three hour plane flight. Is it going to make it? Are we going to fall out of the sky? Right there, there's, we've all sensed some type of thing where we sensed fear or horror, but there was something very different about what Jesus faced here. And what Luke does for us in his gospel, he actually gives us a little more insight. The, the gospel of Luke tells us that he felt so much stress while he was praying that his sweat was like drops of blood. In Luke twenty two forty four, Now, there's actually a medical term for this. And the medical term is hematridosis. And basically what this, what this is, is it's around your sweat glands, there are multiple blood vessels in net-like form. And under the pressure of great stress, these vessels constrict. And then as the anxiety passes, the blood vessels dilate to the point of rupture. And the blood goes into the sweat glands. And as the sweat glands are producing a lot of sweat, it pushes the blood to the surface, coming out as droplets of blood mixed with sweat. Now, is it just the suffering on the cross that Jesus is thinking about? Or would it be something much more? Well, I believe it was something much more than just the physical torture that Jesus was going to endure. And so Jesus gives us some insight to the anguish which he's uh, going to go through. What, what Jesus does next is he's in the garden. He begins to pray and he calls out to his father and he uses the word Abba, which is a very enduring term for father, a, a, a term of intimacy and closeness. Basically, th- this, this term is, 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 is kind of like my dad is bigger than your dad. Like my dad can beat up your dad. This is, this is a term of endearment, but it's an inter, uh, a, a term of confidence. Like, uh, I've got confidence. Abba Father, this is my father. And so he prays, Abba Father, both intimate, intimate term, but also, my God is big. I, I trust him. I have confidence in my father. And he says, if, if you would just take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. And I believe that term is the key to his anguish that we're going to jump into in just a little bit. So to get a better understanding of what Jesus did for us, we have to go back to the Passover meal, which was just celebrated earlier with Jesus and his disciples. If we're going to understand the suffering of Christ and what he's about to endure for us, we need to understand the Passover that Jesus just celebrates with his disciples before he goes into the garden, before he is uh, arrested and tried and eventually crucified. Let's see what this means. Let me give you a better understanding. Now, the Passover, if you remember, the Passover was to celebrate God's deliverance of his people from bondage from the Egyptian for over 400 years that they were in bondage to Egypt. And God would judge Egypt and his judgment would come on this last plague in the form of judging and killing every firstborn male. Now, here's what the Israelites were instructed to do. And so on this Passover in Egypt, so that they would not come under God's 
judgment over the land, this is what the Israelites were instructed to do. They were instructed to sacrifice a lamb and they were to apply the blood over the doorpost of their home. And this was a sign of faith that God would deliver them. That, that, that God's judgment wouldn't come over that home. So the lamb would become this substitute for every firstborn male. And under the blood, the Lord would literally pass over the angel of death, would actually pass over that home and they would be safe. Anyone who was under the blood would be safe. Anyone, whether you're Israelite or an Egyptian, anyone that was under that home, under that covering would be safe under that blood. And so they would celebrate the Passover and there was a meal that would be celebrated annually to remember God's deliverance. And so Passover is celebrated yearly around this time to celebrate God and what he has done for them. And so during the Passover, there were four cups of wine, which represented four promises made by God. And at the Passover, The third cup came when the meal was almost eaten. And at the last supper with the disciples, Jesus raises this third cup and he says this. He says, this bread is my body. Now, what Jesus does during this Passover, he kind of um, departs from the normal script, the normal celebration of Passover for this reason. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, he says, Jesus was saying, I am the fulfillment of the Passover meal. I am the sacrificial lamb that will actually die for you. So I want you to catch this because this has everything to do with the anguish that Jesus is facing as he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Now, what's interesting about this meal that Jesus is celebrating with the disciples There was no lamb. There was bread, but no normal lamb. That was to celebrate the lamb that was given for them in Egypt. But at this meal, there was no lamb for this simple reason. Jesus would be that lamb that would be sacrificed for their sins and my sins and your sins. Isn't that amazing? This is very prophetic. This is fulfilling of what this, now this just happens right before he goes to the garden with his disciples. So what Jesus would do, catch this. This is going to put the two points together for us here. By Jesus saying this in the Passover meal, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, I'm going to take on the wrath of God myself. I'm going to take on the judgment of God that should be placed towards you because of your sin, I'm going to allow it to come on to me. Okay, now, now we're starting to get a little more understanding of why he's sweating drops of blood, um, why he has such horror, why he is in such turmoil at this point. Jesus is realizing the significance of what he's about to do for you and I, and there comes with that something very significant that Jesus never experienced before And that would be separation from his father. Never has he ever experienced that because he's going to hang on a cross and he's going to say, Father God, Father God, forgive forgive them for they know not what they do. But he goes, why have you forsaken me? 
because he's realizing the power that comes through not only forgiveness of our sins, but because of that, he has to become the sacrifice. He becomes the point person where our sins and the judgment of our sins comes upon himself. Do you get a greater understanding now of what Jesus is going through? Do you get a better understanding of what he's going to have to endure for you and I in the judge? I know, I, listen, listen, listen. I love to talk about the love of God. I do. But we can never understand the love of God until we understand the wrath of God. See, we love talking about this over all oh, the love of God and he loves. He does. He does. He does. God is love. I get that. But we have to understand what happens in this garden is pivotal to understanding the love of God and the depths that God has gone through for you and I and how much gratitude we should have for God and how much love we should have for his son, Jesus, for what he endured for you and I. And so at the last supper, he raises this third cup. He says, this is, this bread is my body departing from the normal script. Jesus fulfilling the Passover. Jesus would take on the wrath of God and Jesus literally would become a, a sacrifice for you and I. Now, at the, at the first Passover in Egypt, the sacrificial lamb appeased the wrath of God for those that followed the instructions of God. And so what Jesus is actually declaring here, he's declaring an oath, a covenant through his own body as understood in the Old Testament. So basically what a covenant was, it, it, it established and it was sealed by the death of an animal. And, and, and this basically was kind of a gory reminder that this oath would be fulfilled. So Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a covenant through my blood to fulfill this oath with God that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know for sure that this covenant is binding and it's a promise for you that you can hold on to. So every time we take communion, we're saying, Jesus, you made this covenant with your blood and I can trust it with my whole heart that it's going to be fulfilled. Whoo, that's good preaching right there. You hear me? So Jesus, I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to let my blood be poured out for you. It's not just words, but I'm going to fulfill this through my very life. Can you get a better understanding of why God came in incarnate form? Why he came in the flesh? Because that's the only way our sins could be dealt with. This is the God that we serve. This is how good God is. That he did everything to come amongst us, amongst our filth, amongst our sin, to reach us with his very own life. And so this covenant would be established and sealed by the death of an animal, gory reminder that it would, this, this oath would be fulfilled. And so this was a very vivid way of making sure that the covenant would be binding. So now at the Passover, Jesus said, my blood would be a covenant that would be poured out for you. And this would be a new covenant between us and God. And so in so many words, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is, I am fully committed to you. My body and my blood will be given to you. I am the Passover lamb. I am the one that will deliver you. I will deliver you from sin that keeps you from God. And I will deliver you from the wrath of God because of the consequences of sin. So on the cross... Jesus suffered what we deserved, sin, 
guilt, hurt, pain, brokenness would be placed on his shoulders. Now, I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. Through Christ, God's wrath passes over us. Through Christ and my faith in him, I am no longer an object of God's wrath. That's what frees us. That's what makes us free. That's what makes us lift up holy hands. That's what makes us rejoice. That's what makes us celebrate. That I'm no longer an object of God's wrath. I'm actually a friend of God through Christ Jesus and his sacrifice. That I can now be made right with God. And God has solved the sin issue for us through his son, Jesus. Now, now let's go back. Now that we understand the purpose of the Passover and how Jesus fulfilled the, the Passover by becoming that lamb for us. Let's, let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. So we understand that Jesus is overcome with horror. We know that Jesus understands his death. He spoke of it at the Passover meal. We know that he's come to fulfill uh, the Passover lamb. So was it just the way that he was going to die that bothered Jesus so much? No, not just that. Something happened. It was something way beyond his physical death, as gruesome as that would be. We get some insight here when Jesus says, take this cup from me. Now, in the Old Testament, we get a better understanding of what does the cup mean? Why did Jesus say, take this cup from me? Well, here's the answer. The answer is the cup was a metaphor for God's wrath. When you see the word cup used many times in, in prophetic meaning in the Old Testament through the prophets, it meant God's wrath. It was a metaphor for God's Wrath. So what Jesus is saying is Jesus would experience separation from his father and Jesus would have to face separation like no one has ever faced before. So Jesus understands to take this cup, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus now begins to realize and understand of, of the depths and, and he understands he's going to die this death. But here comes, if you can take this cup, this cup of your wrath that's going to be poured out on me for the sins of mankind. So in the garden, Jesus could see what he was about to face. This separation would be something that he had never experienced before. Perfect in the Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always together throughout all eternity. Throughout all past, always together, now Jesus is going to experience the separation. Have you ever been separated from someone? You got lost? Remember, ever, any of you ever got lost as a kid and you just felt like, oh, where are my parents, right? My parents lost me in two guys when I was a kid. How many remember two guys department store? I think my parents purposely did that just because I was probably being a brat. And I, they had this circular... Um, clothes racks and I used to like to hide in the circular clothes racks so I remember I was hiding in one of those circular so, so I'm in there like this you know you know they can't find me all of a sudden I'm looking out I'm like where's my mom she's not there and I think she moved on to the next rat or whatever and all of a sudden I look out and and I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs Ma! right and and I got lost in two guys they moved on and and uh about three days later they found me and uh traumatic I still do you have in therapy because of that? Um, but that separation, you're like, you know, and here, here Jesus, he, he, he's, he's the, the stress. 
It's not just the physical death. It's the separation that he never experienced before. Taking on the wrath of God for you and I. And I hope this gives you a better understanding, a better meaning of, of the depths of the cross and what it means for you and I. I think we get caught up in the physical death and we miss the whole spiritual meaning behind it. It's the spiritual death that he died for you and I that we have to grab here, that we have to see because we can miss the whole meaning of the cross and the depths he went through to pay for our sins. And so Jesus, this is why the cross is so powerful because Jesus faced separation so that we would never have to be separated from God again. He faced that for you and I, that we would never have to face separation again. Jesus faced loneliness so that you and I would never have to feel lonely again. Jesus did that for you and I. Jesus faced God's wrath so that we would never have to face his judgment. Amazing. See, in order for us to experience the fullness of God's love... Jesus would have to face the fullness of God's wrath. In order for us to experience the fullness of God's love, Jesus would have to face the fullness of his father, Abba Father, of his wrath. You see, here's, I think, a lot of people have, and maybe you're thinking this way, and I'm hoping this frees you from this wrong thinking. Because I used to think this way as, as a kid when I would look at my relationship with God. Here's why, here's why Jesus facing uh, God's wrath for you and I and taking on the judgment of God for himself is so freeing for you and I here today that try to use religion to free us. That try to use the works of religion to free us. Because let me just say, it will never work. If, if you're trying to appease God through your good works, let me just say right now, it will never be enough. See, the word of God says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by Christ to allow the fruit of good works to be produced in our life. Amen. If, if there's not a saving faith in Christ first, then we're trying to rely on our works to save us and we will fall short every single time because we are definitely fallible. And so when I was younger, I would see God as a God, I had to please or he would punish me, right? You ever remember that something would go wrong? You're saying, oh, I know why God's punishing you. Or someone would say that. The reason why this is happening to you is God is punishing you. And then you feel all guilty and like, you know, God hates me, right? And, and, and you'd, you'd live your life like that. And then we would, anything that would happen, we would see as payback or God must be angry with me. And then, and then we'd have to try to make it up, right? And then we would, we would have to do the, the dues. We'd have to pay penance to make up for my bad. And all that is is just filthy religious works that never work. It just doesn't work. And some of you, you may be feeling that way. The things that I've had in my life and the bad things that I've had in my life. I mean, listen, do we know that there's consequences to our bad, to our bad behavior and our bad choices? Okay, come on. Right? We all make bad choices. We make wrong things. But how many know that even in our bad choice and the wrong thing we've done in our life, there's God's grace? And God can restore us. See, that's the hope that I have, that Jesus died for all those wrong choices that I've made. And it's not me trying to make them up. 
or to do penance. But it's for me falling on my face before the cross, before Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, I'm helpless. I'm just a sinner. I've fallen short of your perfection. And Jesus, I need you to restore me. That's where the Bible says God lifts us up. He doesn't step on us again. He doesn't point out all our sins again. He doesn't push us further into the mire, into the mud. He actually lifts us out of that. And then what he does is he restores us in his son, Jesus, where we become new creations. That's the hope I want. And I think many times dead religion makes us hopeless because we can never be good enough. So be careful with hopeless religious works because that will never appease a holy God. Only Jesus could do that, and that's what he did for us on the cross. And so Jesus faced God's wrath for me. He took the punishment for me. He willingly let himself be separated from God so I could be joined to him. So let's, let's wrap this all up because here's what we're going to do. This isn't, some of you are looking and saying, we're taking communion. Is this the first month? Is this the first week of the month? What are we doing here? This is not the first Sunday of the month. We always take communion the first Sunday of the month. Guess what? We're going to take communion three times this month, okay? Hallelujah, right? Um, we're going to take communion. What, what better way after a message like this and what we read in God's word than to celebrate communion? And my prayer for you is that you would celebrate communion in a whole new way today. Because now you got a greater, you, now you have greater insight to what Christ did for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And for those of you that feel unworthy, there's hope in these, in these emblems today. For those of you that have been taking this for granted, there's hope through repentance by saying, God, just forgive me because I've been taking my relationship with you for granted. And I get a, I'm, I'm getting a whole new glimpse of what you did for me, Jesus. And let me not take that for granted. And so as we take communion today, we're going to pray, we're going to celebrate, we're going to thank God for what he's done for us. We're going to understand that he's the sacrificial lamb for us. And if you have things that you need to be forgiven about today, there's hope for you today that you can find forgiveness through the power of Jesus's blood. And that's our hope today. So, so in order for the Israelites to be safe from God's judgment and wrath, they had to be under the blood. What, what a beautiful visual of those homes with the blood of the lamb over their doorposts saying, God, we followed your instructions and we are now protected under your blood. We're, we're protected under this sacrifice that you have covered us, that, 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 that we're atoned for in this moment, that your judgment is going to pass over us. I can't imagine how those people felt in those homes as they were protected from God's judgment. What a visual sign of, of being protected and being loved under God's care. Now, let's fast forward this. We need, to come under the blood of Christ for what he's done for us by faith. And some of you are not under that covering today. Some of you here, you haven't come under 
You haven't come under that protection of Christ because you haven't put your faith in him. And this is where your faith in him makes all the difference. Because you come to him by faith and it's God's grace that provides us for you. Not by how many times you've come to church, not by how many times you've read through the Bible, not by what denomination you, your tag is, your denominational tag is. It's all by faith, by God's grace that you're saved. And that word saved means what? Saved from God's judgment and wrath. And the only way to be saved from that is to come under the sacrifice of what Jesus Christ did, to come under his blood. And you do that by faith. You believe it. You say, Jesus, I believe. It's by faith. Not by my works. It's by faith. So I believe that you are the son of God, the only son of God, the only way to God. And I believe that your death was for me. And Jesus, let me come under that. And that's where you are saved. That's where you become born again. And what through forgiveness and through repentance and through my faith in Christ Jesus, I find newness of life. And so there's hope for every single one of us in this room today when we come under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus willingly took this wrath for us that we might experience the fullness of God's love. And here's how you experience the fullness of God's love. Come under the covering of the blood of Christ. Come under that covering and understand that Jesus took the wrath of God for you that you might experience the fullness of God's love for you here today. Thank God it's not based on my performance. Right? Because I would fail miserably. We're all failures, but Jesus was perfect. And he did it all for you. So as we pray today and as we take communion, um, whether you're here and you need to come under that covering, pray. Whether you're here and you feel like you're not worthy, come under that covering. You're worthy because of Christ and what he did for you. If you've been taking that for granted, say, God, forgive me. I've, I've taken this for granted. I've, I've taken communion so many times. And I, to be honest with you, I walk away and I'm not really changed. I just do it because we do it. It doesn't really take on that full meaning. And now I understand. Embrace Christ today with that fullness of the understanding that you have for what Jesus did for you as our perfect lamb. Amen. So let's pray and let's go before the Lord and let's ask him to bless our time together as we take communion. Lord, we come before you. None of us in this place have to be a member of living word in order to take communion, but we do have to be a member of your family. We, we, we do have to confess and believe that Jesus is the only way. And we do that today. And I pray that for anyone that's here today that's not yet done that, that they would just, by faith, call upon your holy name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you that you are that perfect lamb that was slain for us. And so, Lord, as we just take communion today, I pray that you would, your love would overwhelm us. That as we recognize what you faced for us and what you did for us, we could have never done for ourselves. So we, we, we just want to thank you. And we're so grateful for your forgiveness. So Lord, we come before you and we need your forgiveness uh, because we failed you. Thank you that you first loved us and you first reached out to us. That God, you demonstrate your love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. So we thank you for what the cross provides for us here today. And I pray 
that God, you would provide for every single person here who comes calling and, and just reaches out to you by faith. May we come under your precious blood and that covering. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you did for us. We love you. We praise you. And just make this a special time as we worship you. And we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Um,